Good morning and karibu to you too, Father Russell Pollitt. Oh, very good morning to you, Father Emil. How are you? Do you can you speak as um, uh, what are the languages they speak in Kenya? Oh, um, yes, I know what you're talking yes, about. Yes, I know. Come to me, karibu, uh, karibu, karibu. Yes, uh, karibu. I want to say Shona, but that's Zimbabwe. Swahili. Swahili, that's the language. Yeah, I would, uh, just stop my mind, you know. happens sometimes you sit here behind the microphone and you try to think of something so simple as Swahili and you can't think of the word. Well, karibu. No, I, can't, I can't speak a word except Karibu. Karibu. And what's the other thing they say? I'm a what, what? Uh, anyway. <laughs> there we go. Listen, Russell, welcome back to the country. You've been on holiday in Spain. Not quite holiday. Not quite holiday, some work. But anyway, here you are, back again. (laughs) Welcome, welcome back. Lovely to have you. And lovely seeing you yesterday, too. Yes, indeed. Uh, It's a very good day. Russell, let's just see. I know that you've been out of of the, you know, what's in the news at the moment here. But Mm. one of the things that has been in the news is is that uh, this issue of uh, Ahmed Timol, who died in 1971, is there healing in recounting painful memories of the past, especially in a country like South Africa? Uh, this this week, Salim Isop, who was tortured with Ahmed Timol, uh, recalled some of the last moments they shared together. And I thought you I might have something to say. It definitely is. Yes. Um, you know, um, and I think it's a very important uh, part of uh, trying to... Uh, there's two things that are going on there. I mean, there's the ability of people to speak out and to vocalize, I think, their feelings about things, mm. and there's also, uh, you know, people want to know the truth, mm. and this is one of the big issues is, in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, for example, the idea was that people would come forward and they would tell the truth, because by by telling people the painful truth, it maybe helps them to uh, go on the road uh, of healing. Right. But when people don't know the facts of what happens to their loved ones, mm. I mean, I think this is a big hindrance to, to healing. You know, it, it's always an analogy that we use of you know, if you've got a wound and, 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 and the wound is not cleaned out and dressed properly, if, if, if there's a wound and you just simply put a Band-Aid on top and hope that it's going to go away and then it festers. I mean, I think emotional life is the same sort of thing. Hey. And uh, certainly a way of dealing with these painful memories is the ability to recount them hmm. and also the ability to hear what the truth is. And so, you know, this man who was arrested alongside, uh, you know, uh, 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 well, Timol and Isak. Yes. And, uh, you know, the, the, we were never, the family never knew what happened to them. Mm. I mean, it was declared that this was just simply a suicide right. when they were in, uh, in custody. And um, first of all, they said, you know, that they died mysteriously. Then it was, the rules was a suicide. Uh, and if I remember, it was in uh, um, 1972. Uh, uh, yeah. And now there's been an investigation and the family's uncovered new evidence and presented it to the National Prosecuting Authority. Uh, asking that this, this case be looked at again. Mm. And um, I think uh, that the NPA agreed to this. But, you know, it's very sad that uh, the, these kinds of uh, lies have continued to be perpetuated 23 years after, after democracy. And I suspect this is one of many such cases where mm. the truth has not still been told and we're going to see people coming forward that will want mm. to know what happened to uh, members of, of their family. Right. And, uh, you know, almost in a way, it's analogous to the child sex abuse stuff in the Catholic Church, um, where, you know, a lot of victims were saying that, and this is where the most painful was, that they weren't told the truth, uh, you know, that, that, that those in authority in the church uh, and clergy never told the truth. You know, they denied things or they 
or they gave false answers or, or they gave half-truths. So I think in terms of healing, this is very important for the, for the truth to be told. Yeah. Oh, right. Well, there it is. So, please, God, it's all going to happen with the National Prosecuting Authority that the truth will be told. And uh, who knows? Suddenly it might come to light that it wasn't suicide, as everybody thought. And that something else was at stake here. Yeah, and we do know that, you know, we do know that historically many people in South Africa who, who died in police custody or suicide or, mm. or some such thing, you know, we, this was a common excuse that was used. I mean, we well, we're well aware of that now. Mm. Um, we, we know that, you know, right. and so I think a lot of these things still remain to be tested. Right. Um, Sadly, will we ever know the truth? Will mm-hmm. those who were responsible ever have the guts to come out and to speak? I don't know. Right. Okay, well, let's wait and see what happens with that one. One of the things happening in the church at the moment is that yesterday Pope Francis created five new cardinals. I thought you might have a, a word about that. Yes, yeah, a very interesting group. And, um, you know, cardinals always are really sort of told that, you know, these are the princes of the church. And yesterday, the Pope coming out and told the new cardinals, you are not being called to be princes of the church. Mm. So you can see some people's uh, eyebrows got raised. Yeah. He said, but rather followers of Jesus with your eyes open to the realities of sin. Right. And I think that's a, I think that's a very uh, a powerful statement to come uh, from the, uh, the the Holy Father. Right. So he made these uh, five new cardinals yesterday. Interestingly enough, it's such a small consistory. The last time we had so few mm. was under Blessed Pope Paul VI in 1977. Is that so? And that was the same consistory where Joseph Ratzinger was uh, was uh, entered the College of Cardinals. So okay. uh, the 27th of June marked the 40th anniversary of that consistory. So Cardinal Ratzinger, right. Pope Benedict, mm-hmm. had uh, has been a cardinal for 40 years. Okay. Um, but there were some striking things amongst that group. Once again, Pope Francis has chosen people who are uh, from places in the world that have never really had cardinals before. Mm. Uh, we had Chavez of El Salvador, for yes. instance who's the director of uh, communications in the Archdiocese of San Salvador, uh, under the later uh, Archbishop Oscar Romero. Right. Um, and um, so many people are saying that Chavez uh, was one of uh, Romero's closest collaborators right. and has long been considered one of the bearers of Romero's legacy. So almost in a way, the Pope's esteem for Romero mm. is being realized in uh, making uh, this man a cardinal. And it's also been seen as a sort of posthumous honor for Romero as well. Mm. Um, then we've got this man from Sweden, Robilis, who's a convert from Lutherism. And, um, you know, the first ever red hat, uh, not just simply uh, for his own country, uh, Sweden, but also for Scandinavia. Right. Uh, you know, uh, which is interesting. Right. Uh, then we've got the fellow Zebo, uh, who... Uh, who uh, He's actually facing financial scandals back home, which was very interesting um, uh, in Mali. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, and he's declined to comment on that. Um, so I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we've got him from Mali. I mean, Mali is once again one of those places where you know it's just far flung uh, uh, corner uh, corner of the earth. Um, so so rather interesting these people that that, that Pope Francis chose. And uh, now we have, um, the, I think, about uh, 40% of the voting cardinals in the, in the College of Cardinals have uh, been chosen uh, by uh, uh, Pope Francis. So I think as of yesterday, there are a total of 121 electors out of the total 225 living cardinals. Right. Um, 
But two Italians will turn 80 in February, so that'll bring the number of electors back under the traditional ceiling of 120. Mm-hmm. So it'll be very interesting to see how fast uh, 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 Francis decides to fill that space. Right. Uh, and that he didn't wait until next year when these uh, fellows had turned 80 and, and a point seven, but he chose to do it now. Right. And, uh, and, 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 cho- and, and choose five. Hmm, interesting, interesting. But I must say, his choice of cardinals from these far-flung places is interesting. That is, one of the things that, that Pope Francis has done is he's looked to countries where they've never had cardinals before, and little places like Lesotho and Mali and Laos and so on, and, you know, brought them into the picture as well. So the cardinals are now really representative of the church universal. Oh, yes. For yes. sure. I mean, that's exactly what mm. I mean, that's exactly what he's done. Yeah. Um, I think is try and um, you know, and he uses those images of, of of you know the universal church. He talks about the church on its pilgrimage, on the pathways of the world. Mm. Um, you know, so many people drying the uh, so people are called to dry the tears of so many yes. and to raise their hopes. And he's choosing people in places of the world where maybe uh, you know traditionally have never been. Uh, places where we have that they have been cardinals, but yeah. certainly places where those sorts of images of uh, mm. you know the, the tears and 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 people have lost hope, mm. you know, in in these places like El Salvador, where mm. we know you know they went through the brutal military dictatorship. That's right. But we know the economic problems in Mali. Right. Uh, you know, Sweden is, is in a sense on the margins of the Catholic Church simply because uh, you know it's really a Protestant country, mm. and these are the places where the Pope is choosing. You have high-ranking uh, officials of, oh. of the church. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, let's move on from there. The, another issue that's been raised here, court case yesterday about schools and religion. We thought you might have a little something about that to say. Yeah. You know, it's a very, um, it's a very difficult one. That we have got, mm. uh, you know, a constitution in South Africa which we prize, and despite um, sometimes our issues with the constitution, that constitution has stood us in good stead. Uh, in terms of what's happened in South Africa's politics in the last 18 months, um, you know, we, we've had these numerous uh, cases against uh, the president, and, uh, and the Constitution's always been brought into this, and it's kind of been tested, and, and you know, many people have been happy with the results that the, that the Constitutional uh, Court has, has, has given, or judgments that they've given uh, around issues uh, upholding, enshrining the Constitution. Mm. And but one of the issues is the whole question of religious rights and, and, and freedom. Um, that says that you know public schools have this obligation to uh, you know to make sure that they are places where everybody feels welcome. Mm. And so this group has taken uh, schools to 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 the court, and the court has ruled that uh, they have to review their policies around religion and not favour one religion. In many schools, we know historically that you know the day would start with a prayer and uh, you know to, 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 to sort of the Christian ethos. Yeah. Now the court is saying that one religion may not be favored over any other religion, right. and that uh, people in a school uh, cannot, uh, you know, so if you're going to have a, a religious service on Ash Wednesday, you, you need to have uh, religious services then for people of other faiths who are also attending that school on relevant days for them. Mm. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, because the court did say, and I haven't had a chance really to read the judgment uh, yet, right. and, I, and I really would like to look at it, because mm. the court did say it's concerned about single-faith branding in schools right. and endorsing one religion right. to the exclusion of others. Mm. Um, 
So the schools have basically been ordered, the school boards, to make sure that one religion is not favored over others. Right. What this means for Catholic schools, I'm not entirely sure yet, because some Catholic schools are private. Right. And this was a ruling for public schools. But there are some Catholic schools that seem to me to be uh, sort of between the two. You know, they're, right. they're not completely private, but they're not mm. completely public. They're mm. kind of somewhere in the middle. Mm. And how this will be meted out in those schools mm. is going to be very interesting to find mm. out. And I'm going to, uh, as soon as I get a chance, look at that judgment and uh, maybe try and find out from the gurus in the Catholic school system mm. yeah. what they see the implications of this might be for them. Right, okay. Okay, well, let's keep an eye on that. Thank you for those comments. Let's finish off quickly with uh, anything interesting happening at the Jesuit Institute. Later today, Father Thomas Weston arrives from uh, San uh, San Francisco, ready from Oakland in California, just across the bay, to present this year's Winter Living Theology on addiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and where is God in addiction? Pastoral responses to addiction and recovery. He'll be talking next week here in Johannesburg. He's going to get Lumco, and then he'll be going to Port Elizabeth. And he'll also be giving a, a weekend retreat. He'll speak for three days, as is a tradition. He'll give a weekend retreat in Port Elizabeth, and then he will go to Durban, where he will do three days and also give a weekend retreat there. Okay. We well. know uh, that, uh, you know, we often hear in the news here in South Africa how addiction, especially drugs, uh, you know, alcohol amongst our young people is, is ripping families apart. So mm. uh, Father Weston has had many, many years of experience in the whole ministry to addicts and to, and to their families and friends and those affected. Mm. So uh, that's, uh, that's beginning next week, as I say. And um, it's been amazing, you know, Father Emil, that people um, who heard he's coming and even have had contact with him in other parts of the world. Yeah. Um, We've had all these kind of AA groups and people like that contact us and say, would he be able to just come into one of our meetings? Uh, Would he be able to come and meet the people that, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, Arcotics Anonymous? And so there's been a certain uh, uh, amount of interest in this, which indicates that, you know, this is an issue for us here in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And uh, we still have space, so anybody wants to come along, they're welcome to do so. You can just contact us here at the Digit Institute. And the other big uh, thing, which uh, I'm, I'm very happy to announce, is that we finally have uh, our copies of the book that we developed, the workbook on Laudato Si, which has been uh, endorsed by Bishop uh, Abel Gabuza, who is uh, in charge of the Justice and Peace Commission of the Bishop's Conference, and also Professor Bob Scholes, who is a well-known uh, climate change uh, professor at Wits University and was also on the Pontifical uh, Commission uh, uh, for, for issues around the environment. Uh, he, he gave us a very nice endorsement of the book after he, in its draft form, read through it and made some recommendations. So that workbook, which is about 50 pages, is available from the Jesuit Institute for 120 rand. It's broken up into five sections. It, gives, it, it tries to contextualize environmental problems that Laudato C points to by using South African examples. So for example, water, which we know in Cape Town is a huge problem. There's, there's a section there that looks at, uh, you know, what Laudato to see has to say about that. And at the end of each of the sections, there's a couple of questions to uh, get groups to sit together, to talk, to become familiar with uh, uh, the, the document and to contextualize it. And it's really challenging in the sense that it tries to help us to see how we can change our lifestyles to live more in accordance with uh, this encyclical of uh, Pope Francis. Okay. So that's also available from the Jesuit Institute for 120 rand. It's A4 size. It's full color. It's got some spectacular 
uh, pictures in it, uh, that, uh, that workbook. Very good. Well, congratulations on that. Up front, as the Jesuits always are. And thank you very, very much for that, uh, um, Russell. Okay. You're welcome. That's it. Thank you very much for that. And uh, I think what I need to get from the Jesuit Institute are, are a list of the times when Father Weston is going to be doing his winter school in all the different parts of the country so that we can announce that. I mean, it's... Uh, uh, we haven't been announcing it, which is a pity. So I think we, we need to bring it right on air. So I think we'll contact you and get all the details of when, where, and whatever else we need to know about the winter school. I will uh, get someone to send you an email today with all the details. Thank you very much indeed. I'd appreciate that. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Russell. God bless you and have a super day and welcome back. Thank you for the email. You too. Thank you so much. There we go. That was uh, Father Russell Pollitt. Uh, talking to us about a number of things, the the Salim Isop uh, recounting uh, Timol Ahmed Timol's uh, um, uh, uh, death way back in 1971, the Pope creating new cardinals and schools and religion, and what's happening at the Jesuit Institute.